ATV Talk, the podcast. Sit down with your host industry professional, Leonard Duncan, as the men and women from the ATV world bring their behind-the-scenes stories to life. Every Tuesday at 5 p.m. Pacific Standard Time. And remember, dream big. It could be your story one day. Brought to you by Take-Two Custom Tees. Screen printing experience that is dedicated to quality and customer service every time. Carol Brandt, how are you? I'm good. How are you? I'm doing great. Hey, thank you for taking time with ATV Talk. We really appreciate it. Well, I appreciate you asking me too. Oh, well, you're it's one of the nice pioneers in the women's ATV racing. And, and I wanted to make sure that we get the how-to and the how it started so that I, I, I get some of my facts straight. I don't like to be dangling around in the dark, you know, doing it wrong. Yeah. Yeah. I know that feeling too, so... It's good to have all the facts out there. Well, yeah, I try to get as many as I can and, and everybody's got their own story and they see, they seen it happen their way. And you talk to somebody else that was there and they seen the, the, the story totally different. Yeah. And so it's, you, you just do the best you can. And, and, um, you know, I'm not here to contradict anybody. I'm just here to, to let you tell your outlet and your story so that, so that people, because I know there's people that are your fans and they want to know the inside scoop on what it was really like back when you started. Okay. Um, seemed like back when I started, it was, it was going right. When I started racing, it was, it was big, but it wasn't as big as yet. It wasn't as big at that point as it was going to get in the future, especially in the nineties. It seemed like, um, I know with two strokes and everything, it's a little bit different game than it is with the four strokes, but it just seemed like in the nineties, it had gotten so big, even though there wasn't really any manufacturers involved. Um, that's when they started getting the aftermarket products or not. I mean, after aftermarket products, but you know, the custom built frames and the JP frames and, you know, and then Lager and everybody would, they've just improved a little bit more and a little bit more and, so it was it was fun to watch. Oh yeah, yeah. I, I was part of it. I I love it. Yeah, um, yeah. You got to uh, experience an evolution, and you didn't even realize you were evolving because the changes were coming so fast that you were just adapting to them. You know, the wider a arms, longer travel, different shocks, zero preload. <laughs> I mean, yeah, yeah. Exactly. And just to watch it, like to watch it all. It's funny because when you look at like when Gary Denton first started out on the four wheelers and Brian Fry, and Jeff Watts, and they were all part of team Suzuki and everything. You look at those compared to what it had. They just, those quads look funny because they're just bone stock. And then it evolves into everything that you just talked about, you know, the, the wider a arms and then getting the different length of the swing arms and everything else and how they did the shocks. It's just, it's pretty cool. You know, Some, yeah. just what they did with that in such a short amount of time. So it's pretty cool. Yeah. And the develop, it's kind of strange because the shock development from today 
is affecting the hybrid, not the hybrid, but the, like the Lobo and the Lager chassis yeah. mods, you know, it, it, if you're building them now, like we still are, you're getting the benefits of the testing that's done today to make the product even better. Um, and, and it's pretty awesome because you get some of the guys that rode the machines back then and they ride them now and they go, gosh, I wish mine handled this good then. Yeah. You know, so, yeah. so we're still evolving and we're still getting better. And, and you've had to take the four strokes that, that never, I, I don't think they, you know, the hybrid four strokes work better than the, the two stroke Lobos and the, and the leggers and the things like that. But I don't think in some cases that your standard chassis machines, so your production models, mm-hmm. they handle good. Don't get me wrong, but yeah. I, I don't think they handle as good as the hybrids. I don't either. I don't either. And I don't think they ever will. Uh, That's I don't. just my opinion, but I don't see, I mean, after this long and I, I don't, I think the hybrids still handle better. I don't see how a production chassis could catch up to it. Well, the problem is the cost. Yeah. And manufacturers yeah. are going to dump that much money into uh, the development of the chassis to for an industry that's really small. Yeah. And I can understand that. You know, I mean, they're going where the money's at. So, or where they can make more money for, for higher profit margins, but... I wonder if the industry, I wonder if the racing would grow more if they did dump a little bit more money into it though. You know what I mean? I don't think so because you'd be selling, you would be selling machines. I think that would cost, Oh, you know, okay. If you, if you break it down reality to build a, a race machine, now a professional level race machine, if you have to go out and buy this stuff, you're into it for 25 grand. Oh, easily. And, um, you know, you can, you can get into some of the specialized parts and, 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 and raise the price even more. So if, if they're going to develop machines that can compete, but that can keep up with the aftermarket guys, you're talking about a retail value machine rolling it off the showroom floor in the 15 to $17,000 range. Yeah, that's true. And we're still, and you're still going to have to put money into it because you're still going to have to do things to make it better. It's, it's like um, a few years back. Um, I forget the gentleman's name that went and bought a Honda and placed in the top five in a supercross race. You know, they bought it off the showroom floor. They put some pieces on it and went and raced it. And that just does, that's just not going to happen in the ATV world. You're just not going to take a stock bike and do that. No, but well, not today. I'll tell you what though. Doug Gus did it in 89. Yeah, talking, <laughs> we're talking eighty nine. Yeah, so <laughs> I mean, didn't Doug Gus race stock shocks until somewhere in the nineties? Yeah, I believe so. Oh, they still work better than all that other stuff. You, you know, and I'm like, oh. <laughs> uh, I mean, you, you instantly gain a lot of respect for the guy, but you know. Yeah, yeah, but I remember him showing up to Chico, California, in nineteen eighty nine. 
and it was bone stock. He had stock tires on it, and we couldn't believe it. Nobody could believe it, really. And then to think he drove all the way from Wisconsin to California to do that, to race a national. You know, it was a little, it was a little mind-blowing. Today, I don't think you could do, you couldn't get away with that. No, not even close. You know, the, yeah. the, especially the runner in the pro class. Yeah. You know. Exactly. I, uh, yeah, <laughs> there's no way. There's not, <laughs> there's, a, no there's, way. Not, there's not a racing series. I, I, I mean, if you're racing in the, in the pro, if you're a pro level guy on a stock bike racing in the C class or the B class, maybe, but yeah. not, not, not like that. Yeah. Not like he did it. Yeah. Let's let's they, get into, let's get into your era a little bit and talk about I mean it was great to talk about today and 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 and, and reminiscing a little bit but this is your time. We want to know about you and and what it was like for you starting your racing in Southern California and, and then gravitating back east. Um you know, it, I guess the best way I could put it is I just forced gumped it. It was just one of those things that just, oh, well, I'm going to go do this. And so I, I don't know. I mean, at the time I was 18, you know, I was 17 when I started really racing and it just went from Ascot and, oh, I, okay, I think I'll go to Glen Helen. So I go to Glen Helen and, oh, I think I'll do this. And there wasn't, there was never uh, I don't, I want to say there wasn't ever to say there wasn't a lot of thought put into it. Isn't the right way to put it, but it was just, Oh yeah, I'll just go do that. And there was never limited beliefs. Well, why should you do that? Or I don't think I can do that. Or I don't have the writing skill. And a lot of it, I didn't have the writing skill until I started working with Wayne with PEP. And he taught me a lot, broke a lot of bad habits that I had formed. And, uh, and that's really when the whole thing kicked off, you know, so, and that was in 89. And you spent most of your time in 89 in Southern California, or were you traveling back East as well? Um, I was still in Southern California then, but I started going to, uh, like I went to the Chico race and then I went to Boyd, Texas. And uh, I think it's called Wolf Creek. And then, uh, and I'll be honest with you, I don't even know how that came about. And my parents had moved to Iowa so I thought, well, I'll go visit them. And while I visit them, I'll go down to Tennessee and race Loretta's. <laughs> and that year in 89, they had the TT race in Memphis. And then the next week it was at Loretta's. So it was just, well, I think I'll go do that. So I just hopped in my pickup and loaded my quad up and went and did that. <laughs> and uh, it was just, like I said, it wasn't like there was a lot of planning to it or master thought or, okay, that's a good idea. I think I'll go do that. And that's how that happened. And Wayne had seen that I was pretty serious about it and he realized, yeah, she needs a little help. <laughs> so, uh, he helped me out a lot and he taught me so much about riding and about the chassis and how the bike worked. And, uh, you know, and then it, it came down to, so then I, and how the end, how the motor worked. And I just learned so much from him, especially in like 89 and 90, it just, you know, 90, it just all came together. So, and then again, how 90 came about in racing nationals, I was talking to Billy Hart and uh, somebody else raced in Southern California. And Billy said, well, 
I brought it up and well, he's got a box fan, you know, and Billy said, well, I can drive. Okay. Then let's all go to the races together. So it was just a quick conversation and it was just, it was, it was pretty cool because it gives the whole, that phrase just stand in possibility. It gave it a whole new meaning and it just, okay, let's go do this and see how it works out. And it all worked out really good, you know? Um, and 89 and 90, Wayne, Wayne started on Wednesdays, we'd go riding, you know, he'd take me out practice and break my bad habits and teach me new good habits. <laughs> so, and just right down to greasing the bike. I mean, I never even did that. And I'll never forget. I think it was Greg Clark from Oklahoma city. He was helping me one day and he says, do you know what these little things are? He goes, they're called Zerk fittings. That's where you're supposed to put the grease gun on it. And it just, I just didn't know that stuff. So <laughs> <laughs> poor Wayne, he's like, Oh Lord, help me. But he did. He, you know, I learned so much. So That's yeah, it's awesome. just. <laughs> so when you started racing in 90, there were no women there. there with you. Yes. There was very few women. And there'd be a, you know, there might be one, one here and there to race or, but you know, there's usually two or three, but there wasn't very many. So, and then, uh, so what classes did you race that first year? I raced in the men's B class and the women's class. So, and like I said, the women's class, there'd be two or three of us and we'd try and encourage it and get more people into it and talk to them and, you know. And then Wayne would help him out, you know, if there was somebody there, well, here, I'll help you out a little bit. And so it was pretty cool. And then, and like, and then I, and I, like, like I said, the men's B class. So, and I did pretty good there. Um, in 90, I finished second in points. So, and, uh, overall for the men's B class. And then I won the women's class. And that so was in the Yeah. Was, was there a women's class before you went back there? There was because uh, there was a race in 88 at Glen Helen. It was a national at Glen Helen. And so I signed up for the women's class and Shannon Smith was there. <laughs> so <laughs> Shannon Smith, she practiced and I tried racing. So, and I wasn't very good. I was awful then. Um, so and it was just her and I, they asked her to do it. And they're like, you know, so she did it. So they had a women's class, but there really wasn't any women showing up for it. So 88, 89, it was pretty, pretty scarce. Yeah. It and was pretty scarce. So you roll into 90, you get actually a, a full group to, to do this and um, you're off to the races then. Yeah. Yep. And and then how many years did in a row did you win the win the women's class? Uh, three years, and then in ninety two, yeah, three years I believe. I think ninety two is the last year I raced it. Ninety, yeah, ninety two. Halfway through ninety two. Mm-hmm. Wow. So Pretty impressive. And then, uh, and then I was in I was racing the A class, and they came up with the two fifty. It was a, a open 250 open pro-am class. So we went from the women's class to the 250 open pro-am class. 
And, uh, and that's what, that's the reason why I stopped racing the women's class. Cause it just it wouldn't have been right. It, you know, that's Wayne and I decided. So why wouldn't it have been right? I don't understand. Um, I don't know what they, I'll be honest with you. I don't know what they considered the pro-am class. I know a lot of the pros would, they would go in. A lot of the pros didn't race it consistently, but they would race, but some of them would race it if they wanted to, you know, tune the bike, their bikes in a little bit more or anything. And so Wayne said, well, if you're going to ride at that level, you shouldn't be racing at this level. You know what I'm saying? And not, and I'm not comparing myself to, you know, Gary Denton or anybody else like that. But if I could be on the same, if I could be in the same, if, if I can compete in the same class that they're in, then I shouldn't be racing in a women's class. So. Okay. Yeah. So we quit racing the women's class. And at that time, I want to say there was about, you you know, four or five, six women that would show up, you know, it, it was growing and it still hadn't reached its peak. So, but like I said, we both, Wayne and I both tried to promote it and get more women involved. And I think we did a pretty good job, you know, so. It we help, you know, if we talk to somebody and say, well, yeah, you know, I'd like to race, but I don't know. And, you know, well, why not just do it? You know, it just, well, and there, we'd encourage, you know, we would try and encourage it. There's been some pretty fast women. Yes, there have those out of the race yes. back there. And I don't even yes. know, I don't even know half of them. Um, you know, Heather and Susan Parker and um, Angela Moore and yeah. I, I know I'm forgetting a few and I apologize, but yeah, they, they, Angela got to race on the East coast and then came to the West coast and raced and raced in the pro-am men's class and works and yeah. ran in the top five. Yeah. Yeah. So, and she was a, like, she was a beast on a bike. She could, she was so good. And you know, another good one was Julie Heath and she was born in the early nineties. Um, Cindy Taylor, Doug Gus' girlfriend, Doug's, Doug Gus' girlfriend, she was really fast, also. Okay. Very competitive. So, and it, it's fun. It was fun to watch. I remember the he yeah. name, but I don't remember the other young lady. You know. Uh, we were talking about um, like women racing and Angela Moore went out to California and, you know, and she was in the works pro-am club. Yeah, we had a hiccup in the uh, Wi-Fi. So, okay. But we'll, we'll just continue. And um, when, how long did you race in the, pro-am class back in the nationals um i raced in that for two years so a year at for 93 and then half i want to say about half of 94 and that's when i'd gotten hurt and i was gonna it would take a year it would have taken a year to recover from that so i called it quits on the racing um but i crashed in texas texas 
and did a lot of soft tissue damage and had about 30 stitches. So that's why. So it was about a year and a half in that class. And there was a lot, and it was, it was a, it was a, it was a cool class because, you know, guys from the A, a class, I was racing in the men's A class at that time. And so a lot of, like a lot of us from the A class would be in there. And then it'd be nice because some of the pros would go in there and we could just kind of see how far we had to go in order to be, to go to the next level. What was your best finish? Second. I did beat Donnie Banks at Ohio in Ashtabula in 93. Nice. That's something that Donnie will love to tell us about if I ever get him on the show. Yeah. And I'll be honest with you. They had that Ashtabula. Um, oh, I think it was, I forgot what it was. Uh, a legends race. And the, he come up, Brad Hitt was giving him a hard time about it. So it was pretty good. You'll have to mention it to him. <laughs> I, I will definitely, I will make a point to, uh, to bring that up. Yeah. He, he's a good guy. He'll love it. Oh, he is. He's funny. He's got a good sense of humor. And, so. and you probably earned it because if you beat him, then you had to have earned it. Yeah. Yeah. You know, and I'll tell you what I did. I did better on TT than I did motocross. And I don't, I don't know why I just, but I was better on TT than I was motocross. So, but it, I think I earned it. I'd like to say I did. I think they're both different disciplines and, and it is possible to be better at one than the other. And, you know, maybe your riding style just allowed you to perform better at, in that style of racing. I think so. You know, I think so. Um, I know it, I know TT definitely helped. It helped with my motocross racing also, but just learning that and getting the skills from that definitely helped my riding overall. So. Did you um, prefer the TT or did you prefer the motocross? You know what? I liked, I loved them both equally. Mm, that's um, unusual. No, but I like, uh, what I liked about the motocross, it was more physically de demanding. Not that racing TT isn't physically demanding, but the the motocross was definitely more physically demanding. And so I like I like that. You know how far how far can you push yourself? How you know how far can you go? And well, I I like that. Back in back in the early days, training wasn't a a thing. So what no. did you do other than ride to prepare yourself for motocross? Um, I'd ride my bicycle. I'd ride that and, and I wouldn't go long distances and I wouldn't even ride it for an hour, but it was pretty much go as hard as I can for a minute and take 30 seconds off, go as hard as I can for a minute, take 30 seconds off. And if I didn't do that, I noticed a big difference. It just helped, uh, your breathing got better. Your lungs expanded. Yeah, and of course it would help, like cardiovascular, you know, as far as cardiovascular wise. But I think is what helped with it was, you know, you're on a, like is what what helped. What I think helped the most is you're sitting on a starting gate, and yeah, your adrenaline's going a little bit, but you're not breathing hard. And then boom, the gate drops, and you're going, and you start, you know, and it catches up to you. And I think that's what I think that helped 
a lot with just taking 30 seconds off and then boom, hitting, hitting it as hard as I could again. Um, I don't know. I don't know the right word to use, but it, I know but it. That you're explaining it the best way you can. That's okay. Yeah. Yeah. And then it helped. It also, it did, it did amazing things for endurance too, but I do about 20 cycles of that. So like I said, it was, you know, it might've been a 30 minute workout. It wasn't a lot, but it did, it made a big difference. What else did you do besides riding, besides the cycling and the, and, and the riding? Um, I would jump rope, you know, I'd try and jump rope and do the same thing. And, you know, that was a lot harder than riding the bicycle, but it was mostly, it was mostly, I didn't, I never lifted weights or anything like that. You know, it was mostly just cardiovascular and it, it made a big difference. You know, like I said, it wasn't a, you know, it wasn't a total of 30 minutes, but it did. It made a big difference in my endurance, a big difference. Did did any of the younger guys that you were racing with uh, or the guys that you were racing with, did you guys ever talk about training methods or did anybody talk about training? Nope, it never came up, ever, which is funny. You know, it just it never came up. And I think it's one of those things you know, when you're young, you take it for granted and it's just one of those things and nobody ever talked, nobody talked about it. And, and then unlike today's atmosphere, I think, it, I think it's more of a thing, you know, I think, oh yeah, I do this or I do that. And nobody said a word back then. So I'm not even sure if anybody did anything, you know. I'm sure that they did, but there again, training was a, such an, uh, an undeveloped thing for athletes in, in the ATV world or athletes in a lot of industries, you know, yeah. I, don't, I don't think some of your motocross guys did the training that uh, they do now. I don't think they did either. You know, and you know, like Charlie Shepard, I know he'd go out and ride his jet ski a lot and, but it's like, okay, well, were you doing that to train or are you doing that to have fun? You know what I'm saying? You're so right. it's, just, it's pretty damn hard. You're, you're, you're training and fun. And at the same time, yeah. Riding a jet ski is hard. <laughs> yeah, but the problem yeah. with Charlie was it wasn't the fact that he was not training traditional. It was the fact that he was drinking as much beer as he was while he was having fun. <laughs> yep, exactly. Exactly. And, you know, that's one thing I never, I never got into drinking, you know, back then. I never drank. I didn't party. I didn't. I was pretty, I was straight. I mean, Probably so much, so much boring. So uh, you were done racing by what, 25? Yep. Yeah. So, and I've always, I was done racing, but I've always stayed in contact with people. I've always, you know, I keep up with what's going on. And then my brother was racing the off-road trucks with Lucas Oil and the Pro, uh, I'm sorry, not the Pro class. Yeah, Lucas. Yeah. So, um, so I was going to his, I, you know, I go to his races and, Bark River, Michigan. And so I was going to a lot of his races and everything. So I've always kept my hand in it. I've always, and I, even today, I know what's going on or I can go out to the races and still know quite a few people. And that's pretty nice. And they're not, you know, it's people of today. It's not so much people of the past, but, um, so it's pretty cool. You know, I, I, I love racing. I think Chad's the last of the era 
I do too. I do too, but at the same time, okay, remember, uh, at the same time, I remember when Joel Hetrick's mom was pregnant with him out at the races. I, I, I don't, but, but I probably should. Yeah. And, uh, and same thing with Rostarelli, you know, Jeffrey Rostarelli. I remember when, you know, his, cause his dad raced in the A class with me. And so I remember, you know, he'd be a year or two old and I remember him out, you know, in the nineties. So it's kind of cool. It's cool to see how they've all evolved and grown up in it. And now that's what they're doing. I remember seeing Angela when she was still racing in the little girl in the little kids class. And she was one of the kids running around the track playing with all the other kids. Yeah. Yeah. And yeah. You know, and I'm, and now you see her, she's a mom. She's uh, a few weeks back. Gosh, it might've been a month ago now. She went and raced somewhere. Yeah. She raced. She went to Redbud. And didn't she so, win? I'll be honest with you. I don't know how well she did. I heard, I could have swore somebody told me she won. So she did. That's good. <laughs> and then on bike in 12 years or something like yeah. that. And, yeah. And out there and dominate like that. I mean, out of everybody that I know, men or women, she's the person that I would say, I can believe that. I can too. I can too. And you know, this is one thing I learned from Wayne. Women have greater endurance than men. So I don't know. <laughs> so I, just, I, just think, I don't think, but see, like with her, I don't think she probably, I mean, she's a, she's got a black belt and uh, karate, I think. And I don't think she's one of those people that ever fell out of shape. If that makes, you know what I'm saying? I mean, I have, I've kind of lost touch with her a little bit and, uh, yeah. you know, when she, uh, I guess she moved to Arizona. Um, yeah. And then it's just, when she stopped racing, we kept racing and unfortunately we just didn't keep ties, but I always enjoyed talking to her cause she was a, she was always funny. She was always wanting to win. And no matter what happened, she had a pretty, she had a pretty good attitude about it. Yeah. Yeah. You know, so yeah, she did. And she's, I don't know. I think she's, she's pretty amazing. You know, she was always such a good writer. Oh, st still is to this day. So yeah, to this day. Uh, do you do any writing at all? I do a little bit, not as much as I'd like, uh, Unfortunately, we've had a lot of flooding back here, so that's closed up all the riding areas. And then I'm on the state, I'm right on the state line with uh, on Iowa and Nebraska, and neither one of them, they had some really good riding areas opened up, and but the state had made requirements for insurance so high that people just couldn't meet the requirements anymore. They didn't want to pay the money, so those places have gotten shut down. And then other places that the state actually had opened we're right along the Missouri river. And when we had all the flooding that closed a lot of them because a lot of the trees, even when the water, so after the water went away, the trees were unstable. So limbs are falling, trees are falling and people are getting hurt. So they just closed all of them. So, yeah, so I don't know. I would like to find a place out, you know, out West on the river, maybe by like Lake Martinez or something like that, get a place there. And then that's only 45 minutes from Glamis or, you know, it's still on the Arizona side. So 
parents and stuff wouldn't be that much, but you still have access to the desert. Are you thinking about moving, moving away from where you are? Um, yeah, but not permanently, you know, just a place to go in the winter and then visit in the summer and maybe run it out in the summertime then. So I've thought about that quite a bit in the last year or two and it's getting more serious. So, and I've got a lot of friends that, you know, people I grew up with, they've got houses on the river or, you know, like I said, Lake Martinez, which is uh, not too far outside of Yuma, Arizona. So it would be worthwhile for me to do that. Well, because wintertime here and wintertime there is not the same thing. (laughs) No, two totally different things. So yeah, two totally different things. And my business really slows down this time of year. So I could do, I could do it from anywhere, you know, between now and probably March, I'd be okay if I wasn't here. Do you do most of your business um, uh, computer wise or phone wise now? Um, I do a lot of it phone wise now, but most of my customers are in Omaha in the Omaha Lincoln area. So if they need something, I just run, run out to their job site and, you know, they call me when they need something and I run it out to the job site and I've got my office in my house and it, it works out perfectly, you know? Nice. Yeah. And I keep inventory at my house and it just, it just works out. I couldn't ask for a better setup. So what would you do if you were out of town and these, and they needed something, would you have somebody ship it to them or have somebody else take it to them? I'd have somebody else take it to them. So you have enough people in town where you're at there that you trust? Yeah. 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 And it's worked out good. It's worked out really good. So. Do you like it back there compared to California? No. (laughs) (laughs) No. (laughs) But no, because that, you know, to be honest with you, that is one thing I really miss about California. I miss going to Glen Helen. I loved Glen Helen. I spent more time there than I did at home when I was in high school. So I miss going out to Glen Helen and, or, you know, going to the river or going to Glamis, just going out to this, you know, playing the sand. You can have Glen Helen. You keep it. Ship that back there and I would be okay with it. (laughs) I can't believe how much it's grown. Um, You know what? In real reality, if you really want to break it down, Glen Helen is a great place to race and you shouldn't knock it because it is one of the last strongholds. And and I think Lori does a pretty amazing job. You know, it's not a bad facility in any way, shape or form. It's just based on the years of that, that I've been going there and we've had a little success there. Um, but I've had some of the, the, the biggest, defeats you know and some of the hardest losses you know yeah. come there and so it, so there's it's bittersweet memories yeah i understand that <laughs> you, you know i mean some of the greatest places that i've gotten to race they're not there you know, i mean you don't go to the coliseum anymore we don't go to the rose bowl anymore you, you know uh, speed world's gone uh, yep you know havasu's still there and and i still you know most of the guys that I've raced with have always done good there, uh, even though it's just destroy your machine. But yeah, you know, as far as, you know, Mount Morris, I don't even know if they still race Mount Morris and I don't even know what the track's like anymore. Yeah. I don't either, to be honest with you. I don't either. And you know, it's funny because we went to, uh, I can never think of what it's called. 
uh, that track in Massachusetts. And it's just real sandy. Um, that was a shock. Uh, Southway. Yeah. I don't, I don't even know. I'm sure they still race there, but I don't know if they even have a national there anymore. I never got to go to Southwick. Seems like that every was, time that they were going to run Southwick, I had somewhere else I had to be and I could just, it just never lined up for me. You know? Okay. Yeah. I liked it. I've only raced there once, but I really liked it because it was Sandy, you know, Sandy, just like Adelano is in uh, Glen Helen, maybe a little bit more so even than Glen Helen. And so when we went to that track, that was a shock to everybody's system from back east. They were like, what the hell just happened? <laughs> but yeah, I liked it. It's hard. Yeah, it was rough. And I liked it, you know, so because it was something I was used to. Right. And yeah, so that was a nice track. All of them were nice tracks. You know, that's one thing. I don't know. That's one thing I feel really fortunate to be able to, to say, yeah, I've been to that track or I've been to this track. Or, I feel very lucky to say that. So um, when you're in your life now, keeping up with the racing and talking, do you have any of the, the, the women, uh, you know, that were behind you reach out and ask questions about, you know, things they should do or, or, or try to, you know, help their program in any way? No, not really. Um, I've talked to a couple of girls, you know, just, and I'll be honest with you, even they, uh, and this was about five years ago, you know, I talked to them and uh, I wish I can remember her last name. Her first name is Macy and she was really good. Um, she came up, she raced in the youth ranks and then had made it up to, I want to say the B class and men's and she quit. She'd had a really bad crash and she came back from it good, but she never, she just, it scared her so much. She just didn't want to race anymore because it was just, she didn't want to take that chance of being permanently injured. So, um, and other than that, I really haven't talked to many of the women racers. So that's pretty common in, in our sport that, you know, you see kids or you see people that are super fast and they have that one epic get off and it changes them forever they either come back and are even stronger and more determined or it ends them yeah they're just or they're just gun shy you know it's like they they've given it a lot of thought okay do i really is this something that if i end up in a wheelchair is it worth it to me you know i think that's what i think that's what they think about yeah and if you're thinking about it you should you shouldn't do it you just no. can't ever think about it. You can just, you, you have to do it for the love of the sport. And, you know, I think of some of the stupid things I've done or create, you know, riding yeah. and, and I'm like, Oh, wow. Now I think about it. But, but now even today when I jump on a motorcycle or a quad and I go do something, I don't think about it. It's yeah. stupid, you know, I mean, it's just what you do. It's, you know, and I, I test bikes on asphalt and in, in the concrete and, you know, there's a block wall in front of you and, and traffic on the other side. And, you know, you just don't think about it. If, if the brakes fail or you have a problem, yeah, that's going to hurt. It's going to leave a yeah. mark. Yeah. But like you said, it's not something I, th- I don't think about it. You know, if I get on, if I get on one, I don't think about it at all. So, and it's funny. 
even if it even if it's funny how and I said this to Angela after she raced at Redbud because we don't we don't talk a lot but I sent her a couple of messages um you don't your body doesn't forget what it's supposed to do like it doesn't you just it's funny how you could be off a quad for so long and then hop back on and you just don't forget what to do it just every it's just so natural right you know but yeah that's never it's funny and i've gotten hurt pretty bad but it doesn't cross my mind at all what's the chance you take when you throw your leg over you know yeah i mean people get in cars and have a greater risk to getting hurt in the car than they do racing their ATV. And exactly. I'm fearful of it. And I don't get it, but I do get it. You know, there's no cage, you know, there's, it, 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 it is risk taking, but you know, it is. It's worth it. <laughs> it's worth so it. If we go back and, and, and go back in time with you a little bit, um, best race that you can remember maybe worst race you can remember you were talking about that second place at astrobula yeah that was that was one of my best ones um to be honest with you though one of my best races that and i mean i could still see it in my mind today we it was the first race in 1990 in tallahassee florida and it was a it was a tt and i didn't know anybody and wayne and i is the first national that we'd gone to together um, and it was in the women's class and I was laid off. I, you know, I was laid off the start. And so I just took the outside and I stopped, I took the outside and cut everybody off in the first turn and it stopped the whole race. I mean, everybody just stopped and I went on after that. I mean, I won, but it was just, it was so much fun. <laughs> I mean, there was such a good feeling. I'll never forget that, you know? Um, and then there's other races I've lost and, it was still one of my best, ra- you know, it's still one of the best races. Uh, Cause Fierce, I fiercest competitor. Yeah. You know, so, um, yeah, that, that was, I'm going to say that was the best races I ever had. It was one of my most memorable races to me. That's and then a- another, one, and then another one was at the end of 90. Um, it was in the B class and I was just a couple of points behind um, first place. And I finished second overall that year. And, it, you know, I thought I, I did as I did the best I could in the motor, you know, at the motocross. And I did, I just couldn't make up those couple of points. So, but that was a memorable race also. And maybe it was just because of the points difference and I didn't win. I don't know, but it was a very memorable race to me. What, so, was it the finals? Yeah. Yeah. It was the, the finals. The red is? Yep. So I'll always remember that one too, you know. Did you like racing at Loretta's? Yeah, I did. Um, not when it was muddy. But <laughs> <laughs> I hate mud, but yeah, I like it. I mean, it's a good track, and it, I'll be honest with you, it hasn't changed that much over the years. They've added a little bit here and taken a little bit, you know, a little bit away there, but the track really hasn't changed that much over the years. So. But it, it's a nice track, except I don't like it when it's muddy. But you know, I don't think I've been to Loretta's since um, '97. You're kidding. <laughs> no. It's you know, 
the entire facility has been upgraded. It's unbelievable what they've done with it. It's beautiful. I mean, they've got they've got a, a bunch of cabins, and it's it's great with what they've done with the entire facility. Um, you know, the track is really nice, and like I said, the track hasn't changed that much. So, well, that's that's awesome that that it it's upgraded. You know, are there more are there more places to eat than just the two at the entrance of the road? No, <laughs> that's it. <laughs> Yeah, that's it. They've added a couple of more hotels, but yeah, that's about the Lord Lynn's kitchen is about the best place to eat still. So in the long run. Uh, and it was yeah. weak it was weak then. Yeah, exactly. So oh, if that, that tells you anything. That's so. crazy. That is so crazy. <laughs> um fiercest competitor. In the women's class at that time, it was Julie Heath. Um, and at my final, Justin White was probably one of the hardest to beat in 94 when I was done. He, um, you know, he's 16. He's completely fearless. And I'll be honest with you, I don't know if he ever made it to the pro class, but he was fast. Todd Viscovi was just as fast, but I don't, if not faster, but I'm not sure if he was racing in 94. Um, Todd made it to the pro class. Yes, he did. And he was, he was good. And I think, I think Justin did make it to the pro class briefly. And then as fast as he got there, he dissipated. Yeah. Yeah. You know, and so, and I, you know, he was 16 in 94. I think he was 16. So you know, it's one of those things you're in naturally good shape and you're going fast and, you, you know, you're a little cocky. And so, you know, but he was good. He just needed to refine it. And he was lucky because he had Tim uh, Parr. Helping him and Mark yep. Baldwin. And Mark Baldwin. And I think that made a huge difference with his riding, you know. And like I said, Todd was just wicked fast, I thought. Yeah. And it just didn't look like he put in any effort. Yeah. Yeah. And mm -hmm. so I would those two, you know, that's, those two. That's crazy. You know, you think of Todd, you, oh. you know, and, uh, he was a fierce competitor, you know, fierce. He was fast. Yeah. And, yeah. Fearless. Yeah. I mean, he could long, I, I think it was Todd that we were in Muddy Creek one year and they had a tabletop with a, single after it and everybody started doing the whole distance i think mm -hmm. i think it was todd that was running up in the top group and snapped an axle oh uh, you know he wrote it out yeah wrote it out and i'm like oh man <laughs> you know thing real flailing down the track you know and he wrote it out and rode back to the truck uh, <laughs> Didn't he not even a dirty look on his face? Okay, I, you know, it is what it is. Well, you know, we're yeah. good time. Yeah, you know, he and see, and I, I want to say in 94, he might have even been pro at night and at that time in 94. I think but he might have been already. Um, and and I think that Justin was on the verge of it, he might have went pro. 94, 95, you know, but there again, he was only there a short time. I don't remember the exact years. Yeah. Uh, but he yeah, was, he, he, he was a checkers or wreckers guy. 
Yeah. He's going to put on a big show and win it or freaking throw it away trying. Yeah. Yep. Exactly. And, you know, another one was George Belhan. I think he raced, we raced in the A class together one year and then he went pro. So fast. he was fast. He was a better I think, guy than, than motocross, if I can remember correctly. He was. He was. And, you know, it's funny because Gary Denton, uh, like I want to say in 90, he rode with Rod Emery. And he kind of tutored Rod Emery in 90. And then, uh, and I know he did the same thing with George Bellhand too. And it, he taught, everybody he did that with, he taught them so much. It's unbelievable how much better they're, they were good riders before but they were excellent writers after, you know, so he taught, you know, he taught them so much. And I, I, I noticed a big difference in Georgie in that. You know, I haven't got to um, record Gary's show properly because the one time I did get him, we had massive Wi-Fi issues, but he still downplays the, the level that, he was if you go back and look at his 11 or 12 year motocross career and motorcycle pro motorcycles and then you roll him into the atvs he was years and farther advanced than all those guys yeah and yeah they were they were you know they were bringing a knife to a gunfight and he didn't just have a gun he had a bazooka and yeah he had no chance and and it wasn't that he was faster than them. He just knew what he needed to get done at every race. And he was just super smart. Yeah. I've never seen a smarter rider than Gary Denton. I don't know about that, but you know, you know then you add Wayne Hinson into his program and that guy's yeah. brilliant. Uh, yeah. You know, the other people that I know, some, some people that were helping him, you know, I know that Wayne and Lauren talked a lot and, you know, it was never, uh, it was never a big sticker on the bike, but we were always doing something with him or Lauren was always doing something with Wayne or, you know, and I don't know what levels they were, they were doing it at, but something was always in the works, you know? Yeah. And Wayne, so smart, so smart. He um, still, still is. Gosh, you just, yeah, you guys, the guy's so brilliant, you know, Stone. Um, I, I want to sit down and talk with him because every time I've spoken to him and it hasn't been many times, you're always learning something from the guy. Yeah. Yeah. I learned, I'll tell you what, you know, everybody's talks about, they didn't push college as hard back then as what they do now, but I learned more from Wayne Hanson than any college I could have gone to. And it not just, I mean, I learned about racing and I learned about people and just life in general. I've learned more from him than any college I could have ever gone to. You know, we, I say we grew up, but we did. And I think we grew up in an, in an era in life when um, education is always important. Don't get me wrong, but I don't yeah. think college, I still don't think this. I don't think today college is the answer. It's um, not because you get so many people coming out of college that are stupid. Yeah. yeah yes. Yeah. I said that. I really said that. And truth. you know, you they know? Have a degree. they may have this, they may have that, but they have no, uh, uh, I was just 
I was just listening to an, uh, a story about um, a company and they were, is that the cat or the dog? The dog. <laughs> <laughs> uh, they were hiring people in this company and they were inter- interviewing the people with the degrees and interviewing the people that had industry time. Uh-huh. They hired all of the industry time people and none of the degree people and told all of them, yeah, go get a job, learn some life skills and come back and see us in 10 years. Yeah. That doesn't surprise me at all. And you know, it's funny, like everybody I know that is successful in business today, we're lucky to even make it through high school. You know, Lauren went to college. Um, I don't know where, where he ended up. Uh, I never went to college. I, there's some things that I could have learned in school if I would have uh, listened to my father. There are some definite, some math classes that would have helped me. And, and probably if I would have paid attention in English and, you know, I had a, I had a smoking hot English teacher my senior year. So I probably was looking at something else I probably shouldn't have been, you know, when she was trying to teach us things. But um, yeah, I mean, there is, there is school, schooling that helps you. Um, and you need to read, you need to do math and you need to do these things. But, you know, when you have a professor that's teaching business, that's never owned a business, uh, that's a mistake. Yeah. That's, yeah. That's a huge mistake. You know, you, and you're paying these guys astronomical salaries and they're idiots. Cause they yeah. don't, like they couldn't run it. They, every business they would, they're talking about hypothetically goes out of business. Yeah. Because you, know. they, you, you can't function that way. No. You know, I've been very blessed, you know, blessed and cursed all at the same time. Lauren's made some really good decisions and he's made some bad ones, but, but for the most part, he has set the company up. So during the hard times, we're okay. During the good time, yeah. we're just really busy. <laughs> yeah. You know, that's, that's pretty neat. One thing my parents have always taught me is never be emotional about money ever. And that's made a huge difference. You know, just, you can't apply emotion to money. It doesn't belong. I look at it this way. It's always going to come. Yeah. You got a bill and it's 50 bucks. You may get 49 and you'll have to scrape that dollar, but you'll figure it out. And it always always happens. You, it, it, it always comes through. It may not come through the way you think it's going to, or the, you know, it may show up at the uh, 11th hour of the 11th minute of the 11th second so that it's just barely makes it, but it happens some way, somehow it always happens. Yep. I mean, every time I have a hundred dollars in my pocket, my wife needs 101, (laughs) you know, it just, it's just normal. Yep. I know what you mean. So yeah, I mean, you know, worry about money at all. And then it always comes through. And so people will be like, Oh Lord, I need that hundred dollars. Where am I going to, you know, how am I going to replace it? Okay. Months from now, you're not even going to miss that hundred dollars. Nope. You know, which most people don't, they don't even realize it. So don't stress about it. The money's, you know, you'll figure it out. As long as you're working hard and working towards a goal. Yes. I agree that I agree. Yes. Yes. Totally agree. Hey, I yeah. want to go back and talk a little bit about Wayne uh, Meridian and 
some of the things that you guys did, um, the differences between your motocross setups and your, and your TT setups, how did he condition you to set the bike up? Because obviously you had to have some schooling from Wayne to get you in a TT race and do well. Yeah. You know, one thing Wayne was really good about. So if he made any changes to the bike at all, right down to changing a front sprocket on it, he would tell me. And then he'd say, okay, now this is what, this is where the difference is going to be. And he was really good explaining to me, okay, well, you're like putting us, you know, a one inch shorter swing arm on it for TT compared to motocross. And, uh, he would, he would explain to me what, just what the difference was going to be or how the bike was good. And then I'd go out and ride it. Okay. Yeah, he's right. You know, so there was never a surprise. And then, and that, I think that's where the key was, you know, he wouldn't just change it and say, okay, well, tell me how you like it, you know, and he always knew what questions to ask to get good, so I can give him good feedback. Um, when, uh, when he was setting the shocks, did he teach you about the internals and the compression, the rebound? He taught me about like the compression and the rebound and stuff. He didn't teach me what the internals did, but he just, you know, he taught me what the compression was and what the rebound was. And, um, pretty much yeah well, and even like on, on spring weights and stuff like that you know he teach me about he taught me about that and it just and like i said just okay well this is how is it reacting you know and he just he always he always had the right questions to ask but he'd been doing it i think wayne's been doing it all his life i think he's probably been doing it since he's five years old <laughs> so, he's a guy, so so yeah. he's so technical He's so technical and in a lot of ways he could speak in a language that you don't understand, but he always explained, like I said, he always, okay, well, this is what the difference is going to be. And right. okay. You know, so do this or do that. And I, if he told me what to do, I'd do it right. Exactly how he said to do it. And we'd be okay. <laughs> um, so what did you guys do for motor packages. Um, he did some of my motors. So the motors were, a toss up between him and Tom Burbo with pro design, mm -hmm. but Wayne built most of them, right. you know, he built most of them. And like the, you know, he built some that were 250 CC and 265 and the 250, they'd be a little bit torquier, a little bit, I don't know if beefier is the right word. So, um, those, those 250s, one of the ones where he put the big piston in there. Uh, the, yeah, the 260, yeah, the 265s. No, so, I, I was teasing. Oh, I, was, oh, I was teasing. You know what I mean. Okay. I know what you mean. I was just, I was just every once in a while, you, you, you always catch the guys putting a bigger piston in there than they're supposed to. Oh, okay. <laughs> yeah, that's true. But he, um, so yeah, the, and the 250, you know, like 250cc, that'd be a little bit torquier. And, but it was never, he never made anything. So it was real pipey or real, violent for lack of a better word that's perfect that's perfect yeah. i mean it was always very smooth it wasn't um i think it was like a violent hit or a hard hit i think i would have hurt myself 
Well, so, rideable, usable horsepower is the key. And yeah. Built exactly. power within your means. Yeah. And so, um, yeah. And that, I'll tell you, I liked everything he's ever built, you know. Um, and I have trust. He's so, like, he knows he's so technical, but he's so meticulous that if we went to a race today, I'd go ahead and I'd get on a bike and do whatever he told me to do. And I'd be comfortable with it. And I wouldn't have any doubt that it was safe or, you know, you know what I'm saying? I that it wasn't mechanically sound. You trust in him. Yeah. Yeah. And so, and that, and that's, that, that was another key part because if he said, okay, now this is right. We've even walked TT tracks and he'd say, okay, now right here is, this is what I want you to do. You know, I want you to pivot right here in this spot. And I would listen and so that's what I would do. I did exactly what he told me to do and, <laughs> and it, you know, we did good. Um, that's I, one of the, one of the things that I will have loved about my job is the teaching aspect. And when you uh -huh. get a writer that is a sponge, like you probably were. And, yeah. And it's awesome. And, and I've worked with a few that were super great at, at listening and, um, and following through. And then you get guys like Doug Eichner that just was a, gosh, I don't even know the right word. He, he could just ride. Yeah. You know, I could put struts on the bike and he could ride it. I, <laughs> you could put fine tune the shocks and, you know, and, and take all the power out of it and he'd still ride it, you know? And, yeah. and you know, cause I remember I'm playing with combinations and, and it didn't matter what I did for him. He wrote it, you know. Yeah. He could and it's fun. That's got to be just. It's got to be. I'm sure he enjoyed it, but it's got to be rewarding for you. You know what I'm saying? It's hard because you don't know if it's bad setup or a good setup. You know, I mean, he'd get off the bike sometimes and go, "Yeah, it's a little rough today." Okay, a little rough. What was the show? Yeah. A little stiff? Was it a little soft? Uh, yeah. <laughs> well, that didn't answer my question. Um, yeah. yeah, see, that one to pull on with Wayne, <laughs> it would have been, okay, <laughs> we're going to talk, you know. Well, you and, know, you've got to figure, Doug was a 30-some-year-old man. He's a year older than me. Uh -huh. And, yeah, that he just didn't have anything to say. Yeah, yeah. And, you know, and see, like with me, yeah, I can understand that. Cause I'd probably, I'd, I'll be honest with you today. I'd probably be that way. You know, it's like, I think you get to a point of, well, yeah, it is what it is. And okay. It worked. I did. All right. I didn't, you know, let's go. <laughs> you, you know what I'm saying? Well, hey, and, the only uh, time Doug really got in my shit was when uh, something was a problem that was mechanically based, you know, and, mm -hmm. and, and I got it, you know, I mean, uh, we got along pretty well for the most, you know, we were together almost, almost 14 years. And, um, you know, they only yelled at me a couple of times and I only yelled back a couple of times. So that was pretty good. Yeah. Yeah. You know, that is pretty good. You know, Wayne, one time he, <laughs> and again, this was a 90, went to Michigan and I made a decision on tires. It was 
just pouring down rain all weekend and it was a mess and then it dried out a little bit. And I told them, well, you know, uh, we get through the start, we could just write, you know, everybody's going to have a sloppy time through the start. So let's just put the turf tamers and car tires back on because the rest track is fine. <laughs> okay. So then by that time, he's like, okay, she's getting the tire situation because we talked and talked and talked about tires. Then we go to Pennsylvania and the track started out as tacky. And I said, well, why don't we put the softer compound on? You know, this is going to be, he's like, are you sure? Needless to say, they burned up pretty fast. So that was a good lesson. <laughs> That was, that was, that was where we kind of, it was the tire with us. It was tires. It wasn't anything mechanical. It was just tires. <laughs> well, you on a TT track, it's so critical to pick the right tire with the air pressure and then your, your, your setup, you know? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, you know, I mean, we come from Southern California. We race desert and, and off-road and, and some motocross and uh, TT. Yeah. Oval. What, what are you talking about? Sway bars. What are those for? Yeah, <laughs> you know, I mean, you get your 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 one class one hundred and one from uh, the older guys that you know, and you know a little bit of class from Marty and Lauren when when you're watching them scale the bikes before I was really doing it, and yeah. you take your knowledge from there and you look how the tires are wearing and. You know, I mean, there's TT gurus out there, you know, like Shane Hit and, um, you know, gosh, Tim Farr yep. was one. And you just take these guys um, and and they just know so much. You know, Curtis obviously helped Shane because their packages were always spot on. Yeah. Yeah. Always spot on. So it just... And he was such a good rider, you know, it just, yeah. From what I hear, Shane can still throw it down. Oh, he can without a doubt. He at the, he was at the legends race and it was, it was just, it was fun to watch him ride. He didn't win. It was No, uh, he was riding a two stroke and the guy that won was riding a four stroke. So I think. And he had a, that's not a legend. Get that thing out of there. That's a four strokes. Exactly. That's how we felt about it. You know, that's how almost everybody felt about it. It's like, you know what, if you're not on a two stroke, you don't belong out there. So I, I, and there's, yeah, there's a couple of people that I hadn't heard of before and they were on four strokes and I don't think they belonged out there. So yeah, it wasn't, that was pretty much the general opinion. Why didn't so, you get out there? I don't know. <laughs> I think if I wanted to, I, I think I could have gotten a bike, but I don't know. I didn't, in one way, I didn't feel like I belonged out there. So, but I wish I would have gone out there because it would have been a lot of fun. <laughs> oh, God, we were, we were talking with uh, Paul Turner and he had uh, like a year before that, he was asking Lauren, Hey, let's do a 250 motor. Let's do this. Let's do that. And they, had, they were doing some talking about it trying to set the thing up and then one thing happened and this happened. Then the guy that Paul was working with, there was an issue and then Paul decided he wasn't going to go and then he was going to go and it just never came to fruition. And, and, you know, that year I was so busy with the, the teams on the West coast that I didn't have, I didn't have a free breath to uh, even go. And 
Lauren works that Lauren gets most of his engine work done on Saturday and Sunday. So if you lose a weekend, you're behind for three. Yeah. Yeah. And I think, to be honest with you, I think that's when Wayne gets a lot of his work done is on the weekends or late at night. Yeah. No, nobody's answering the phone. I mean, I have a home life now. Well, I had a home life until I started ATV talk. Um, but <laughs> you know, I mean, I've been married a couple of times and, and my wife now is a godsend. So she understands work. She understands uh-huh. what we're trying to accomplish here with ATV talk. And she allows, she allows me a lot of rope. Mm-hmm. That's uh, cool. And when she tugs, I put it all down and go because, yeah. you know, I get so much leeway that, yeah. uh, you know, I'm allowed to be working out in the garage until, you know, midnight, one o'clock, wake up at 4 a.m. and go back out there. And on Sunday morning, when she opens the door and hollers my name, you take the 30 seconds to a minute, get your stopping place, and you're done. It's Sunday. You're done. You know, it could be 7 a.m. It could be, you know, four o'clock in the afternoon. But when she, when she does that, it's over. You're, you're putting the tools away and, and you're going to come and be part of the family and, and, and do those things. And, um, for me, you can ask my, you can ask Danny Ray and Juliana. That's not normal. Uh huh. That was just never my life. My life was spent uh, you know, if I started a project and I was working on something, I didn't care if it was Sunday, Christmas, you know, thing. I didn't care when it was. I was, I was doing it. And yeah. So, you know, there's a lot of changes in life and I'm sure Wayne and other people like, like that. Uh, our lives have developed a pattern and uh, we have an illness and the illness is, that we love the ATV industry and we love what we do and we're not, it's not a normal life. You're never going to fit into the normal box. No, no, but I'd rather, I'd rather live that way doing something that you love and that passion passionate about and constantly learning about new things and where it's not a stagnant, you know, it's not a stagnant cycle. I'd rather do that than I'd rather do that any day than just have a regular nine to five job. One well, of the funnest thing to me in the whole world is building race bikes. Yeah. You yeah. Know? And then you get to watch some young man or woman go out and ride that machine and do things with it that you never dreamed it would do. Or knowing the individual and knowing what they could do and you see them do it and you're just ecstatic. Yeah. I hope go ahead. I I built a, I worked with a a kid named Mike Sloan for a number of years. And before he turned pro, we went to Stradaline in Washington. They Mm -hmm. had a national up there in, in 86 and they probably had one there at another time, but we're up there and they did this special, I don't know what uh, obstacle course style, you know, pro section race, um, you know, on Saturday night and it was a points race 
and they had a log double. Uh-huh. And Mike goes, yeah, I can do that. So on the warm-up lap, on the warm-up lap, he didn't practice this. On the warm-up lap, he hits it. And I knew right then, you know, he's the only guy to hit it. Well, all the pros saw it. And obviously, well, if Mike can do it, we can do it. You know, yeah. three quarters of the pro class did it. And uh, Mike was the only pro-am to do it and destroyed the class that night. And after the race, I said, I thought we discussed that that was not the smart, the, the smart thing to do. <laughs> yeah, but I knew I could do it. Okay. Yeah. So you, when you see riders do those things, uh, you know, I've watched Doug pull things off, you know, that just, you're just not supposed to be able to pull it off. Yeah. Yeah. But you know what? At the same time, it's because the bike is so good. It's because the machine is so good and they have so much faith in the machine and they have faith in the person working on it that they know they can pull it off. Wow. You know what I'm saying? Uh, and that, I hope, and that's it's a happy marriage. I hope that's what it is. I, I know that's what it is. You know, there's no way if anybody, Wayne built such a good bike. I mean, the bike was better than I was, but I had 100% faith that whatever I tried, I would get away with. You know what I'm saying? Yep. That I knew, I knew, I knew the bike would perform. I knew, I knew it perform. I knew it wasn't going to break down. I knew it would hold together. And it, it made such a big difference in my riding, you know? Right. Um, so I hope he got, I, I, we never really talked about it, but I hope he got that sad. I hope he's gotten a lot of satisfaction out of that. Um, I think, I think that he, the, I think that he has. Yeah. You know, mm-hmm. I, I, I don't want to sound arrogant in any way, shape or form, but when you know what you do, you, what you're doing, you know. Yeah. And, yeah. and I think the thing that think keeps me humble is I know I can do better. Mm-hmm. I always try to raise that bar and raise the bar and raise the bar. And I, and I believe that my father and my brother, Lauren are both raised the bar on, on my, my skill set always. So that when I was building machines uh, all the time, you know, the, there was always a form of raise the bar, you know, do this a little better, do that a little better, make this work a little better. And, and uh, cause I did most of the chassis assembly, you know, motor installs and putting the bikes together uh, for Duncan racing, you know, during all the racing times. And uh, you just, you have to work harder at, at your trade. I remember working on Doug Eichner's, practice Lobo when he was going to go race it the next weekend or something on my off time to get better at fixing broken things. Yeah. Because the practice bike, you know how destroyed they are. Oh yeah. Yeah. You know? Yeah. And you know, and the thing is, I don't, there's no arrogance there. There's no arrogance there. It's just fact. And then that's one of the reasons why you guys have always built such good. I mean, look at how long you guys have been around for and how many companies have come and gone in the, in just in the last 30 years, you know? So just the fact that you guys are still there 
says a lot. And same thing goes for almost me. 50 years. Yeah. So, you know, you know what I'm saying? And then because you do keep learning, that's where your writers have, it gives your writers faith. Yeah. You know, we're at a crossroads with age and, and things like that, that I don't think that everybody understands that, uh, you know, the, the, there's an end to the going to the races at point. I know Wayne's older than I am and, and you don't see Wayne at as many races. Yeah. And you just get to a point where that's just not what you can do. I, I don't think I'm ready for that yet. Mm-hmm. Um, a portion of a portion of COVID this year, 2020, um, <laughs> has let, allowed me to see, you know, we opted out of the racing, you know, and a rider got injured. And then um, at the same time, we had some family issues. So staying at home. Uh, to be with family and to take care of family became an, uh, uh, a need, a necessity. So uh-huh. traveling this year was out. And then the COVID thing happened and, and everybody knows the race schedules got changed. And um, I kind of like waking up on a Saturday morning at home. Yeah. Yeah. And and I kind of like walking into the house on a, on a Friday night and not uh, having to, you know, walk in and eat dinner and then go back out to the garage and finish prepping a bike because the next weekend I'm going to be racing it somewhere in some God awful dust pit, you know? Yeah. So, uh, but this isn't about me. This is about you. And, and we get, we keep getting off track on all these other stories. Um, and, and I hope that the other ladies that listen and that the people listen, realize what a pioneer you are racing in the men's class and forging forward when there were no others to guide you. Yeah. That's pretty impressive. Well, I appreciate that. Thank you. And you know, uh, you know, it's just back then, it's just something I never thought about. It's just, okay, this is what I want to do. And so I did it. And, and, and uh, you did it in an era of the world and life when it wasn't frowned upon, but it, yeah. wasn't, it wasn't looked to as this is what you go do. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. You know, like you said, it wasn't frowned upon, but it was looked at with skepticism. Exactly. I guess. And so, and that's one, uh, that's one way I was, I don't know if lucky is the right word, but every, you know, when I went to the races, but I've never, I'm kind of, I'm an introvert and extrovert type person but I never had a problem walking up to somebody and talking to somebody. And so I was lucky that I was able to do that. And people just accepted me. They're like, okay, you know, there wasn't, I was never really treated differently or so that was, that was nice. Well, that's the ATV family that we have is yeah, accepting of everybody. Yeah. I mean, it was no, nobody was ever questioning. Why are you here? You know, why'd you come here by yourself? And you know, it was never, it was just, oh, she's here. Okay. You know, and so it was kind of fun. Right. And that, you know, that's, 
that's helped me like in the business I do now and stuff too, you know, cause now I go out on big construction job sites and nobody questions why I'm there. Or it, you know, I just have the confidence to do it. It just, and it's because of racing and going to the races and being accepted there that I have the confidence to do it in what I do now. So that's pretty awesome. Yeah. Really awesome. And, um, it's you know, it's pretty cool. So, and like I said, I learned so much. Wayne Henson and Wayne Meridian, I learned so much from those two that I could never repay what I learned. You already did. You know, and I've tried. But you already did. Mm-hmm. You know, just appreciating what they teach is um, payment enough for them. Yeah. Yeah, they're, they're both pretty amazing. You know, just the whole Henson family is so amazing. Well, yeah, they're they're smart guys and they work hard yep. and promote themselves well, you know, and, yep. and they, they don't cut corners. No, no. And, you know, and most of the people in racing don't, and, and I'm not taking anything away from them. And I think that's, that's says a lot for the entire sport. Correct. You know, so. Yeah. If you had to, if you had to put in words for the young racers, what are the things, you know, in your words, what would you tell them to focus on to get their careers going or to sustain them? Um, I would, first off, I'd tell them to learn what true focus is and as far as your racing and your riding and stay focused on it and, and set yourself a goal, but don't be set on just that goal, you know, enjoy the ride, but also focus on your physical endurance, your physical shape, because like we were talking about earlier, that was never discussed when we were racing. I mean, it wasn't, it hadn't really become a thing yet. Um, But it's your physical training away from racing is just as important as racing. And then know your equipment and keep your equipment, keep your racing, not your racing, but keep your bike, your mechanical, uh, check every nut and bolt, you know, check, check that stuff and check it again. And it'll give you more confidence in how well the bike's going to work. And yeah, I can do that. And yeah, I know my, I know it's not going to fail if I do this or because I've seen people not, I've seen people not check stuff like that, you know, not check their Aon boots or not. And they don't even think about it and they crash and they get hurt over something so stupid. You know, and just the confidence and knowing that it's well maintained helps. I don't know. I don't know how many people understand how much that confidence raises the level of your riding. You know, and then, uh, you know, my parents. You know, they taught when we were growing up. They taught my brother and I. Well, just focus. Pay attention to what you're doing. Pay attention to what you're doing, and. I never really seen the, I mean, yeah, you see the results here and there, but as a kid, you don't realize it. But in racing, I, racing really showed me how important focus is. 
you know, and just with that, uh, that level of focus and that, you know, then you have the adrenaline and everything else to go along with it. You can move mountains, you know, and I never realized that until racing, like how much just being focused on it and, uh, just having that focus that was very, it was life altering, you know, and like I said, you know, making sure you're just maintaining your four wheeler and that giving, you know, or your equipment, the co- the confidence you get from that. And then knowing that you're physically able to do it, you know, That's because if you're not physical, you can have the skill, but if you're not in physical shape to do it, you're not going to be able to do it. That's you know? true. And so it's well worth the work to put in. I think. Self-sacrifice is something that isn't spoke of enough. Exactly. You know, and then being, being, having your preparation, you know, don't, oh, well, oh, well, I got to stop and get, put gas in my truck on the way to the races or no, be prepared the night before. Have all, have all your, have all your riding gear together, have that packed in your vehicle, have everything loaded up or, you know, be prepared. Just have your, just have the whole game put together the night before. So then when you get up in the morning, it gives you a little bit more time to sleep. You're not rushed. You're not hurried. All you got to do is go out in your car and go. Right. You know? It just, it's just little things like that away from actual racing that bring the whole program together, you know? So, and it's funny because my mom's always taught me, you know, be organized, be prepared. And you're kind of like, Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, you do it, but yeah, yeah. But then, like I said, then they, they moved back to Iowa and then I started working with Wayne and that's when every, all the pieces of the puzzle start coming together. You know, you get it, you see the puzzle and you get it and you got the pieces there, but that's when it all started coming together of things I'd learned from my parents. And then, I'm doing with Wayne. I'm doing with Wayne, and it was just—it was a pretty cool experience. Like, oh, okay, you know. I th- I think that uh, it, when you're an athlete and you're you're involved in maybe if you're not the athlete, but you're the mechanic or the uh, whatever portion in the in the team that you're working with or whatever it is, uh, or the or you are the athlete athlete. Um, the lessons that are learned are priceless. Yes. Yes. Because it rolls over into your whole life of how focused you are on your task task at hand so that you're not making a mistake. Exactly. Exactly. And, you know, and then if you want to get to any level, if you want to go anywhere at all in racing, you need to do those things. If you want to, and it's not just racing, but it's life in general. You need to do those things to be successful. But when it comes down to racing, on the physical aspect of it, yeah, that could be a life or death thing, you know, or a pair, you know, a, a, a bad injury or a bad wreck because you didn't take care, of, you know, because you weren't prepared. Exactly. So, you know, so it's just be able to see the big picture, you know. Yeah. I, I wish everybody would. I hope everybody that listens to this takes that to heart because it's so true. Yeah. You know, and, and I, you know, and 
like I said, the whole thing, the whole racing with Wayne had come together at the perfect time. Cause I mean, I was still 18. I mean, I was young. I didn't have any answers to anything. And, but it was nice. You know, like I said, my parents had moved back to Iowa. And so it just reinforced everything my parents have ever taught me. And it just, like I said, it brought all the pieces of the puzzles together. And it's like, okay, now I see, you know. And awesome. it, was, it was good timing. It was like, now I see. It was just, which sounds kind of odd, but, you know. It's like no, now it I, sounds very, it sounds very grown up that you can look back at what your parents taught you and realize that all of the lessons that they had given you allowed you to participate in a sport and succeed at it because of the way that, that they put the package together for you. Exactly. And, you know, I'll be honest with you. If the, if they didn't put that package together for me, I don't know that I'm somebody I would, I would have been somebody that Wayne would have wanted to work with because he wanted somebody that was going to be dedicated and work hard and not, I want to say, do what I was told. That's not the right way to put it. Um, but that was going to be disciplined, you know, mm-hmm. and okay. Yeah. I'm willing to do the, and yeah, I'm, I'm willing to sit here and listen and to what you're telling me and what you're trying to teach me. And that's, that's the kind of person he would have, that's the kind of person he required. And I'm glad I was that person. That's so. All. You know, I was glad I was given that mindset before I started working with him, you know. Yep. I want to thank you for being a pioneer. I want to thank you for leading the way. Um, There are so many women uh, that have benefited by what you've done and the things that you've done, uh, you, they don't even realize that somebody had to come in there. And I know you may not be the only pioneer. There's probably some other women that, that we should thank as well for fighting through the obstacles that took to get you where you are. Um, and you were very fortunate with a guy like Wayne, um, and other people in your life to, to, to allow these things to happen and allow you to have the career you had. Um, yeah. And most of all, I really appreciate you taking the time with ATV Talk. And I hope that uh, when called upon, you'll come back and visit with us again. Oh, of course I will. I really appreciate you asking me, you know, because I remember, you, I mean, we were all there together and it was just, it was one of the best times of my life. Um, I have great memories from it. Great memories. You know, 30 plus years of traveling all over the world to do this is, uh, you forget little details, but when you have conversations with people that were there with you at that time, you, you remember most everything. Yeah. Yeah. Just really appreciate your time. I know that we had a little mix up in, in, uh, in, in taping, but I think it will be excellent. And, uh, ATV talk really appreciate you. Well, thank you. I really, thank you. That's very nice. No, it's our pleasure. And, um, and I've enjoyed it. I've enjoyed it immensely. Well, we'll be reaching out because I need a couple things from you later on, but I'll be reaching out to you because your episode's going to air here shortly. Okay. Well, thank you. Yeah. Just let me know. I will. Thanks a lot, mm-hmm. Carol. You have a great day. And if I don't talk to you before Thanksgiving, have a wonderful Thanksgiving. 
You too. You right. too. Thank you very much. We'll talk soon. Okay. <laughs> Bye-bye. The team here at ATV Talk would love your feedback. Please email us at hello at ATVTalkPodcast.com. San Diego's Body Evolution Wellness Center. With over 17 years experience, Dr. Heidi looking after all your chiropractic needs and Coach PJ looking after your fitness needs. Visit our website, www.BodyEvolutions.org or call for an appointment, 858 858- Five seven one zero one six zero. Former off-road professional Garen Fuller with his team at EC Homes, a top-notch real estate company, will help you buy or sell a home. Visit our website, echomesforsale.com, to get a free analysis on your home. Please mention ATV Talk for a 1.5% listing fee. Visit echomesforsale.com. Make sure you let them know who sent you. Duncan Technologies International. More than 33 years in the industry building racing programs and ATVs around the world. We build winners. Thank you for listening. We hope you enjoyed the episode. If you did, don't forget to rate us on all the available platforms and share us with your loved ones. Follow us on Instagram and Facebook for more ATV Talk News. See you next time.